0: Welcome to another episode of Education Unscripted, your gateway channel to unpacking education issues in Nigeria and Africa. This podcast is brought to you by the National Innovation Collaborative for Education, NICE, which is a community of education innovators working to foster learning and collaboration. I am Mo, and today I'm joined by the four members of the Fakoya family, Mrs. Fakoya Mr. Fakoya and their children, Fuluyinka and Bolutife Fakoya. Today, we will be discussing how this remarkable family homeschools their children in Nigeria, leading to them both being accepted into Harvard University. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We are delighted to have you all here. So a few years ago, I had an opportunity to work with this, um, this young lady called Fuluyinka Fakoya. Um, I observed her unique approach to problem solving, her flexibility and adaptability, and how it was that she was a lifelong learner who had actually even taught herself how to speak a new language. I was later to learn about the influence of her unique upbringing in shaping who she she has become. Foluinka and her brother Bolutife were homeschooled for four and seven years respectively. And what's interesting was that this was not in the United States or the United Kingdom, but in Wari, Delta State, Nigeria. And um, both their parents were full-time working professionals at the time. Folu Inca and her brother, Bolutife, went on to demonstrate superior capabilities and were both accepted in Harvard University. Bolutife actually began his doctoral studies at the age of 21 at Harvard and hold a patent for an intelligent backpack. So, Folinka Bolutife, mom and dad Fakoya, it's great to have you here today. Folinka, when we last spoke about your family's decision to homeschool you and your brother, you highlighted a number of attributes that characterized your upbringing, and I'd love for us to discuss these today. You spoke about why reading was important, about television, family time, how your parents encouraged independence and and initiative, and how they set clear expectations for you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I think that what we shall do is maybe start with mom and dad, Mr. and Mrs. Fakoya. So Mr. and Mrs. Fakoya, welcome to the podcast. I wondered if if you could tell us just a little bit about your family background and your decision to homeschool your children in nigeria not in america but in nigeria um we'd like to know you know what a typical day you know was was like for you if there's any such thing um whether you follow the curriculum but i think most importantly why why did you decide to homeschool your children in nigeria uh
1: thank you thank you for having us on this um podcast it's been a pleasure knowing you, Mo, and the great work that you're doing (laughs) in education yourself. Thank you. So, to answer your question, why did we decide to homeschool the children in Nigeria? I think, um, be the change you want to see. I think that just sums it up. Mm. Be the change you want to see. There's enough talking about what is not right about education in Nigeria. Everybody has a gripe list that (laughs) is endless and we can catalogue and we can all you know go on and on and on and on about what is not working but then who is there to prefer a solution who has any ideas to make it work so we just decided that we did we, we, we weren't satisfied with what we were seeing around us um we'd had uh, educational experiences some that were good some that were not so good and so we had a clear idea of you know what if we had a chance this is what we would like for our children to be like well, this is what we would like for their education pathway to be like
2: um yeah yes sir um the the we we we, we were in the night in worry in delta state right at the time and um i I, I think we had just come back from the uk and you know when you when you come back to nigeria you come back with this sense of surely there's something i can do to you know improve this or that Uh, so when we when we settled in and then we looked at the kind of what was on offer we felt it simply didn't address what we had in mind.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then I remember we kind of had a, was it a conversation and we said, look, if we start doing this thing, even if we fail, the, the outcomes of that would be failure, would definitely be better than what we saw on offer. Wow! there was nothing to lose and there was everything to gain you know so um, it didn't seem at the time it didn't seem like a big deal it was like look you've gone down you know when you've you've fallen for so long the only way is up it was one of those things (laughs)
0: No, absolutely. So your family made this conscious decision that you were going to homeschool your children. Um, for how long did you homeschool uh, Feluinka and, and Bolu Tifei? Okay. Um, I don't think there was a conscious decision
2: slash meeting. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of just, um, you know, when you keep kicking the can further down the road, <laughs> 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 you know, it was like, aren't we going to school? Well, you guys are doing so well, you know. This looks like it's kind of stable. You mean we're not going to school? <laughs> you, you want to go to that school? No, I don't want to go to that school. Which school do you want to go to? That well, is too far off, you know. And, and then it just kind of like settled in.
0: Right. What was right. It, what
2: was
1: how it? long? So, to answer how the question, long? how long? Fulinta had done two years of secondary school before she began her homeschooling. So it was from um, two years of secondary school you know yeah. it was from then on until university and mm-hmm. Bolutife hadn't done secondary school at all so he had in fact he had one year of primary to finish so he was in that twilight zone between primary and secondary so he actually didn't go to he, he, any he, he got
2: the full treatment
1: yes he <laughs> didn't go to any <laughs> secondary school and um, he was home well they don't like the term homeschooling yeah, they just, call we, it yes They call it self learning or self tutoring -tutoring or
0: something. I see. Self tutoring.
1: Okay. Yeah. Independent (laughs) learning. Yes. So, um, what did the typical day look like then? Uh, First of all, before you even go to a typical day, what do you need? You know, you need three generators. That was, I mean, yeah, because people have asked us that. Titi, what do you really, really need to start this thing off? I say three generators. You need power. Wow. You need Electricity uninterrupted. Uninterrupted, because your your home is your school, you're not going off to anywhere. So you need the day gen. So we had a day gen, We ha- and then a night gen, and then the redundancy one, because each time one was fixed, oh, you wow. needed one to step in. So. Starts with three generators. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, that's it.
0: <laughs> and and just before we turn to following, can to tell us a little bit about you know how reading and um, featured in her upbringing? Um, did you did you follow a particular uh, learning curriculum or was it an eclectic mix of, of bits okay. and, and bobs from from here and there?
2: Um, straight answer: It was an eclectic mix.
4: Right.
2: But we started out with we went to the end of the process and said what would we like to see in terms of competencies in terms of skills in terms of you know being rounded then the next question was how do you prove this to anybody how do you prove that this has really happened so we said okay what exams are out there Mm. Um, so we said okay fine the gold standard was the uk igcs Um, And then we heard of one or or two American exams. We were not even too keen on that in the first instance. Mm. Coming back from the UK, we were more connected with things as they played out in the UK. So we said, okay, the IGCSE. Mm. Um, We now started working backwards. We had interacted with a couple of people who had friends of ours in the UK who had um, taken the bold step to homeschool. They had chosen a curriculum that was, you know, homeschooling in those days used to be associated with fringe religious movements.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Um, they had ready made ready to go content. Mm-hmm. Um, we that was not exactly what we, <laughs> we didn't have an axe to grind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We didn't like that. Home, we didn't like you that. Know, and there you were know. quite a number of them off the shelf, Christian education, accelerated, and you know, different things. And we said, "Listen, um, what did we want?" So uh, we also,
2: when we, when we were in the UK, we tended to, you know, how life in, in Western Europe and American context, you know, your families are closely knit. So we we used to spend a lot of time doing things together. And Mm. one of the things we used to do was uh, visit museums and places of interest. Mm. Uh, By some means, I can't quite piece it it all together. I found out that every one of those uh, institutions had what they called educational departments. And those departments used to churn out material that essentially supported the national curriculum. So I thought, wow, this is nice. Um, you you are getting to go to school and at the same time, the context is some other, you know, some interest or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what we did when we got back to worry was that we kept in touch with the, the those departments, their websites. Yes. Their websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was always, that was always there on tap so we found out that we could we could merge the efforts of, for instance, the uh, Museum of Science and Technology, uh, the, the Science Museum in London. Yeah. We could merge their content with the, what was it, the IGCSE curriculum. curriculum. Wow. And
1: know? even more than that, because then I work in the development field, so we found um, websites like DEPWeb, you know, um, Oxfam. Institutions like the World
2: Bank and the United Nations—they all have all these.
1: K to twelve curriculum that's. All you
2: have to do is look for it. Yeah,
1: so we spent a lot of time surfing through that, yes, Uh and putting together a curriculum that gave the children the breath and the. Um, expanse that a classroom experience would not necessarily have given them. So they... Whilst
2: whilst making sure we secured the call.
1: Yes, so we secured the call. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, we had lots of museum visits and lots of we, we even, we even windmills we, we and we even all. We used to do that. In <laughs> yeah. Worry just to make wow. sure. And then in, in Nigeria, we'd go to. Well, the, well it, was the the Benin, it was the Benin. Was the Benin, Benin museum? Yes. So and you, then so you, you would know, drive to Benin. <laughs> yes. We drive to Benin. Um. We'd go, we um. This uh, what's that man's name? The artist.
2: We found out uh, that. uh Br- Br- Bruce or no was
1: yeah. Was in uh, it was in our neighborhood, Barato. Barato, yeah. So we went to his place. The thing with homeschooling was you make every day counts. or every day count, so you look for um educational experiences in fun, or you make f- you, 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 you combine both, so you are learning as you are. Ex, you know exploring exploring yes that's the word okay so so you know, that's, that's the
2: eclectic that's the eclectic
0: <laughs> i think it i think it's utterly remarkable because um you are telling us in essence that you you played an extremely proactive role in curating learning content for your children um we must not forget that the the physical context or the ge- geographic context was worry in delta states not even in lagos and that you were full-time working parents as well. I'm gonna hold that thought. Let's go to Fuluinka for a moment. Fuluinka, you had mentioned when we spoke the other time that reading was a pillar in your family culture and still is, and that reading stimulated your curiosity even into adulthood. And I'd like to know, how did an emphasis on reading contribute to the intellectual prowess that you display today?
4: Uh, Thank you very much, Mo. First, I'd like to thank you for uh, saying that I display intellectual powers that makes me I feel very flattered and complimented thank you so much and again thank you for the opportunity to participate in this conversation with you and to share our experiences as a family Um, so yes I did mention that reading has been a pillar of our family culture and this goes back to before homeschooling was even something we thought about Um, my mother used to be a teacher and my grandmother my mother's mother taught math in primary school for many years so in our family the idea of academics, books, being something that stayed within the walls of the school never existed books were always at home we were surrounded by books when we were little living in Kaduna my mother used to go to behind the post office I think is where it was where they used to sell second-hand books and she would buy them in bulk and they would be treats for us I remember we would always get very excited about receiving a book about getting the chance to read and so we grew up knowing that books are not something. something to be afraid of. Books are not just for school, but really the idea that books are your friends, books are, you know, reading is something you do for fun. It's a fun way to learn. It's a way to think about things that you don't know to widen your horizons and really to start to uh, be introduced to ideas that would not, in your current context, uh, normally be something you would be aware of. I was talking to a friend the other day because um, the 22nd of April, 22nd maybe? I think it was the 22nd of April was Earth Day. And I was talking to her about when I read, I was about seven years old reading The Babysitter's Club books by um, Anne Martin. The lady wrote hundreds of books. And I was telling her that that was the first time I ever heard of Earth Day. Because one of the girls in the books was very interested uh, in had a very environmentalist point of view, and you know, really loved the idea of Earth Day. I remember I was telling my friend, I was saying that, I was like, Earth Day. Like a day for the don't we live on Earth? Like what is this Earth Day? And seven-year-old me had no I mean, this was seven-year-old me living in Kaduna at the time, had no idea what Earth Day was, but read about it and then went and somehow kind of looking up in other books and other places figured out that oh Earth Day was a day like children's day, because we used to have the day off on children's day. So I knew children's day. So it was like, okay, Earth Day is like that. It's a day to think about you know the impact of global warming on the earth and just that. That experience, and it's really something um, so small that opened my mind to that whole, to the whole idea of saving the environment and being aware of um, how we treat the environment and what is pollution and all of those things. So all of that is to say that reading was a pillar in our family culture definitely before we even got into the homeschooling thing. But once we started learning from home, it took on a new level of importance because that was how, we um, primarily interacted with material. And it wasn't just, you know, apart from the textbooks, obviously you're reading your biology textbook and all these other textbooks, but reading, and I think my parents talked about, you know, enriching the curriculum with things beyond just the math and the English and the science. And so we're reading about, um, Versailles and reading about uh, you know the Egyptians and reading about what's uh, the history of India and history of colonialism in India I mean at this point I'd never been to India I I, I barely knew anything about India but I had read about it I had read about the culture I had read about uh, some of the some of the unrest that had gone on around the time of India's independence so all of those things you know reading was how I developed my vocabulary and really learned about the world around me before I even had a chance to see it and experience it for myself and what uh, our focus on reading did was it showed me that I could learn from I didn't have to go somewhere I didn't have to watch something I didn't have to meet someone to learn I didn't have to have a teacher to teach me and that it was possible for me to go out and search for information and I mean now we talk about reading and we're including the internet the world wide web (laughs) amongst Mm -hmm. the things that we read but what it really taught me was that it's possible to go out and search for information and learn without having to go through a person without having to kind of um figure out how to negotiate with a gatekeeper and so now i always joke that i i go to the university of google because there's nothing you can (laughs) tell me that i will not go and google and read about it i am all about reading about it and figuring out how things work Um, and so when we talk about the impact of reading um into my intellectual process. Like I said, what it has done is teach. it has showed me that I can learn um, without having to go to people. And of course, there's a lot to be said for reading from different sources, being aware of bias and making sure that you don't uh, unconsciously take on a position without really, truly interrogating it first. But what, it, what reading has done is it has shown me that, yes, I can learn about the world and I can learn about things. And it doesn't have to be arduous. It doesn't have to involve a teacher. It doesn't have to involve going somewhere. And for me, what that does is when I write, when I'm thinking about my work that I do nowadays, it's not a hardship for me to read four or five different reports to go through, you know, to seek out different sources, because that's something I do instinctively. I read something and I know that, okay, this is really interesting and very informative, but likely not the whole story. How do I get the whole story? Um, And so that's one very tangible impact of, you know, the the reading culture in my family. I hope that answers the question.
0: It does remarkably well, I must add. Um, I love the way you talk about how it is that reading opens up the world to you. And I also like the fact that you emphasize that your parents made an effort to find you books, even to the point of looking for secondhand books and the reality is that a secondhand book is just as good as a book that is new i mean the content is is still technically the same isn't it for sure (laughs) but i think what 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 i think is is extremely extremely important you know um from the comments that you've just made at this particular point in time is how it is that reading created a situation where you were no longer just a passive uh, consumer of information, but in going out to read, to look for what to read, to curate what to read you became an active participant in your own consumption of information and i want to take it to boluti fair now um because one of the things that i understand about your family ability fair is that you didn't watch a lot of television when you were growing up and it appears that this is related to Inka's last comment around television um uh, around the passive nature of content consumption that is we, we see very often, you know, these days and can be associated with television. But what what sort of content did you consume as a child? And how did you actively contribute to curating your own curriculum, given that you didn't appear to watch a lot of television?
3: Uh, yeah. Um, first of all, I'd saying say a huge thank you for, like, allowing us to speak about this and, like, share some of our experiences with you. But as think I did mention, yeah, there was very little to no TV at home. And what that meant was that at no point in time were we glued in front of the television watching shows that we hadn't made the effort to like go outside and get. So if we wanted to spend some time as a family watching a movie or something, we did. But it wasn't something that was at the press of a button. It was something that we had to put effort into doing. And I think what that did for me was really allowed me to, as I mentioned, like engage more with reading and being more intentional about what it is that I'm consuming. But then also tying it to like the kind of independence and um, engagement I had with my own learning. I started looking for ways to um, enrich what I was learning in my in my courses, in my uh, modules with what I could see around me. And so an example I can think of that is that there really is no better way to learn about the, the dynamics of an internal combustion engine than like learning how to service a generator or learning how to like uh, <laughs> refuel it or put in the oil or make any changes that need to be done as it, things go down and as the systems begin to fail. And so things like that, like finding ways to find uh, content that would supplement my learning and actually tied it into like very real world um, experiences. And kind of similar to that, like going off, I remember when I was in the middle of servicing the generator and you realize that, wow, what does a renewable energy source look like where it is not reliant on petrol or diesel or gas and going to my parents and actually forming and looking for information to learn more about renewable energy. Those are things like that whereby you can very much like learn that from reading, but tying it into what's going on around you really does allow me to contribute to creating the own curriculum. Um, And other things that like I was doing that weren't related to TV was like, as Wynika mentioned, like reading the news and reading articles and learning about what's going on around the world from primarily through like newspapers and Time and Newsweek magazine. But as you got older, like the internet became more and more prominent. And so being able to engage with blogs and really like, Being able to think critically about what is going on in the world beyond the sphere what I would see both in worry or what a TV would would allow me to see. Um, And I remember, especially as we got more and more access to the internet um, and I became more and more interested in science, um, being able to gain access to things like Scientific American magazine and popular science. And those are the things that thinking back really got me thinking that not only could I read and engage with science, I could also do science, which is what I'm doing right now. in school and so really being able to see that tv is not the only way that you can get content that is both educational but also entertaining and can supplement my learning um and then i guess like one more thing is that because we didn't have tv we were really encouraged to make the most of the time that we had outside and going outdoors and Again, I can just remember a particular like learning module in one of my um, urban development dynamics classes where I was looking at how cities are formed and how they're very distinct zones. And again, it would be quite easy to see it in a book and like memorize that. But going into a city like Abuja and seeing how zoning really works and how people can like put in types of structures or types of uh, uh utilities that promote certain types of development. Like that is something that I feel like because we were spending so much time not glued in front of a you but really engaging with our environment, kind of like supplement what we we're doing and made it a, a holistic learning experience.
0: Oh, thank you so much for that, Politi and I And I think that it's important that you mentioned the holistic learning experience. Um, and for me, that is that integrates a lot of, of balance from different perspectives. Um, And when I I think about balance, I think about how families um, learn together and how they grow together. And Mr. and Mrs. Fakoye, if I can come back to you, um, it would appear that family time seemed especially important um, to to you as a household. Um, Definitely anyone who's visited your home will attest to the fact that you're a closely-made family. Um, And so on the one hand, we we see your children displaying such incredible academic prowess, um, but at the same time, we also see you as this incredibly closely knit family um how did you nurture this closeness
2: um there is a there is a short answer and there's a long answer (laughs) the short answer is that a lot of this was Mm. thrust on us just by pure circumstances um take for instance you find that for some reason power supply to your residential area is 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 blown up and you're not going to have nepa for the next six months that's what the nepa officials tell you right. and, uh, Oga, your transformer has blown and we have placed an order for it and uh it's going to take six months to come back wow when you are faced with that kind of thing then what do you do so we found ourselves invariably sitting around a source of illumination in the living room and having to do something with it. Uh, One of the first things you could do is you can talk (laughs) and you can actually have conversations, you know, and then, okay, then you may take it to the next level and you may take turns in reading a book. Um, That was something we used to do until i happened on um a publication from something called the international reading association where they actually said that formal read around sessions so it now had a name they were now called read arounds read around sessions were very uh, conducive for promoting literacy and i thought wow we do that one time and time light goes we do that all the time so um okay. it, it the the, the it was a combination of our circumstances and us just trying to live, have a life in the middle of these circumstances.
1: So, um, yeah, family life is something that we are, I think particular about we protect that space. We like to say us four, no more. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of like our mantra. So I, I always made a fuss. When there wasn't anybody present at the dinner table I just felt that we all should sit together you know and then we can talk together Uh, how has your day been and so on and so forth so reading together I'm sure by now you've heard reading 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 was something I was passionate about as a child I grew up in a really really in a very highly literate household I I, I like to tell my father was a professor before I was born but (laughs) even apart from that though was the fact that a love for reading had been with me as a child and my mother tells me that I used to buy books for my unborn children. I didn't even have a boyfriend. I wasn't married. But I knew that my children were going to read. And I'd be stocking up my favorite (laughs) childhood childhood books. And I'd go to a store and I'd buy a baby book. And somebody would say, Titi, why are you buying that? I say, no, my daughter is going to read this book someday. So reading was a part of our culture and when the children wanted a treat i'm gonna give you something nice oh mama what is it i'll give you a very nice book to read so just creating family time not not necessarily around meals not or rather not only around meals but more around books you read i read you read i read i remember this went on with the children they were way into their teenagehood they could read books by themselves but there was also the joy of reading together. You know, read out loud, let me hear your pronunciation, your diction, your vocabulary, and then just have fun. We'd go to the park. When we were in England, we'd go to parks. Just the four of us, we didn't have money. It wasn't about money, you know, (laughs) but we, 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 we kept ourselves entertained and, um, we we derived pleasure in our own in one another's company you know so yes. that that was very important it was protecting family uh, family life
0: and, and and that is wonderful isn't it um i think what i'm hearing is when life throws you lemons so try and make some lemonade you know out of it um and take an active role in in creating the kind of environment that you want for yourself and the kind of experience, you know, that you want for yourself and your family. Um, following I'm going to come to you now um, because related to this point, um, and when we talk about reading, we talk about life skills, we talk about, you know, protecting that which is important to you. Um, the reality is that right now, the, what I would call the buzz, you know, the buzz is on 21st century skills Um, and the idea is that we need to look beyond just the academic curriculum um, to helping young people develop the sorts of life skills that they need to thrive in this environment. I mean, right now we're in the middle of a global pandemic and it would appear that only those that have certain skills around flexibility and adaptability and creativity are really going to make something out of this um, and be even more successful, you know, on the other side. So, how how did your family help you develop a sense of independence? Um, how did they help you learn how to take initiative and be this very flexible and adaptable person that you have become?
4: Uh- Thanks so much. And uh, I love exactly how you mentioned 21st century skills, because like you said, at this time, uh, before even the pandemic started, there was this focus on how are we building students to become productive, uh, capable individuals outside of the regular English and math and the core curriculum skills. And so we're In the education context we're thinking about encouraging critical thinking and creativity and collaboration and communication and all these different skills that continue far beyond school and actually affect the individual and make someone like me continue to be a lifelong learner and so my homeschooling experience definitely contributed to that in a very big way first of all and we've talked about this a little bit the independence I had when it came to my learning and the how I was able to be an active participant in my learning able to take courses and classes and things I was interested in um, that otherwise that would not have been possible within a school setting so for example when I was about 15 I had developed an interest in psychology and so we got a psychology, some psychology resources, a textbook, some videos. And I was able to pursue that for about the period of a term or so. Um, And that was, again, me being able to flex my ability to be interested in something and then take it beyond an interest and really take in a little bit and learn a little bit more and really build out that piece of my knowledge, specifically when it comes to independence and taking initiative. Uh, My family is really good at that. But uh, there are a couple of things that I would want to say. The first thing would be, in many little ways, um, we were encouraged and supported to pursue what was interesting to us. And so, for example, when I decided that, or when I had the idea that I would like to have a Saturday job. And my dad was like, OK, I think that's a great idea. Where would you like to have this Saturday job? And there was a bookstore in Worry called Flomat Books. And obviously, you know our family and books by now. And I was like, I think Flomag Books would be a great place to have a Saturday job. And I went and I made my case to the owner of uh, the bookstore and he hired me and I felt very proud of myself. And I went every Saturday and I was doing stock taking and assisting customers. (laughs) um, Probably not the most impactful staff member they ever had, but I, you know, I really wanted to, you know, do something and, and then they were paying me and I felt very proud. My salary of 5,000 naira a month, in 20, 2009 was a very big deal for me. Only for me to find out last year in twenty nineteen that my father was paying FloMart Bookstore <laughs> to pay me. But, I mean, I was I, I was stunned. But it just goes to show that my parents were very encouraging and supportive in the best way that they could be. And so, what they, they saw their role very much as facilitatory, um, kind of guiding us and helping us figure out how to exist in the world and how to access the resources we needed and how to make sense of the world much more than a gatekeeping role of controlling what we have access to and controlling what we could see. And so even very practically when it came to things like money I remember uh, my mom took us to Oceanic Bank uh, this was in Worry uh, Oceanic Bank had a branch in Wellington Hotel and she took us there and set up accounts for us and we had zero money to put in these accounts okay we had no money from nowhere nobody had any kind of allowance money but you know we had these accounts and so birthday money or you know Christmas money just the gifts the children get but getting the idea, getting the idea that you're responsible for your own money this is your money and you're responsible for of course I say your money after every time we got money my mother always seemed to take a cut and it always seemed (laughs) to be a rather large cut but anyway we had money and it went in the account and we had an ATM card. And so I was uh, 13 at the time and my brother was 10. And so these were little ways in which they encouraged our independence and really played that facilitatory role more than the gatekeeper role. And so it gets to the point where as we grew older, I remember when I was going um, on my internship to India no one in, I mean my family, my parents no one in my family had been to India. And I remember my dad saying, why do you want this internship? Who do you know? And I was like no, it's really cool. I'll get to work with the women and their education unit and it was like okay well you know and do you know what they did they went and they read up on Udaipur the city I was going to be in and when I got there they were like oh we saw this place oh where are you where is your house all these things and so as much as they could always supporting and encouraging me and my brother and that has resulted in really a lack of I wouldn't say a lack of fear, but we're very, I would say that we're pretty adventurous um, in going off to things that we want because we've had that support and we know that even if things don't look perfect, even if it doesn't look great, it will work out and we do have our parents' support. And that really started, like I said, from the little things and just from knowing that our parents, um, that we have their support.
0: Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I, I I'm thinking that you know when you consider parental support, you also think about parental expectations. And Polutifae, um, in education, we we often refer to something called the Pygmalion effect, and this is a principle that posits that the expectation we have of children affects the performance of those children. So the higher the level of expectation, the better the outcomes as they rise to the level that is expected of them. So how did your parents' expectations of you? you influence your own expectations of yourself. Is there anything to learn there?
3: Uh, yeah, for sure. I think something that I've always taken away from interacting with my parents is that they really did push me to do my best. And when, they, when I'm able to show that I'm doing as much as I can, and I'm putting in a lot of effort into these activities in my learning and my extracurriculars in my interests, that that's the best that I'm going to get out of it. But I think something that was even more impactful to me than having them have high expectations for me both academically and outside of the classroom was sort of them demonstrating that to me as a child like growing up and watching them also come up to these situations different countries different um, challenges that you've faced and seeing them uh, really just put their best in it and put their all into it and in an example I can give that comes from my learning like Further maths, further maths and myself, we go way back. But there's something about like coming up with an equation or coming up to a problem and really sitting down and breaking it down to bits and pieces with my dad, because he too would be there showing me that, like, this seems really hard, but we know you can do it. Let's work through it together. And learning how to do all these equations of motions and physics from first principles, and really like showing that even though there are extremely high expectations, there's also the support that like Funica was just mentioning to help me achieve these things. Um, And so it's something that we've always said when it's come to, especially equations, because we all, like me and Equations, we don't really do that well together. But you throw everything you have in the kitchen sink at it. And when you're done and you've put in your best, then you can sit back and look at what you've done and accomplished. And that's something that not only did they teach us and instill in us, they also demonstrated that in the way that they took on problems and took on challenges as well.
0: Uh, that, is, that is really, really good to know. Thank you very much for sharing that Politi Fair. Uh, you know, um, one of the questions that I had asked for Luinka uh, when I spoke with her um, a while ago about how you were raised was whether your upbringing put you at a social disadvantage when you engage with peers that were traditionally schooled, who went to regular schools. And I love a comment that she made. And she said, we gravitate towards people like us we find our own tribe. And I know you as a family and I know how incredibly well adjusted you are. Um, I know that Bulutife is right now studying for his PhD at Harvard University. Foluyenka has completed her master's at Georgetown after turning down an offer to study at Harvard University, by the way. Um, But I'm going to bring this back to mom and dad, Fakoya, as we close this conversation. You have a remarkable family. Now it's 2020 and we are witnessing this unprecedented global pandemic. Most children are forced to learn at home at this time. Parents are struggling. They are struggling to understand how to support their children's learning. And some of what you have so eloquently um, spoken to us about today is that which the regular parent is struggling with. And you've made it clear that you are Irregular family, your normal family, you have the same challenges that every other family has. In Nigeria, you had electricity problems, which every other person has in Nigeria. But is there some clear guidance that you would like to offer parents who are thinking really, really deeply about the potential of homeschooling their children at this time?
1: Thank you, Mo, and thank you for <laughs> all the nice words that you have used to describe us as a family. Um, that's, it's an honor to hear all of these things coming from you um, and to answer your question what advice do we have to offer parents at this time for me really and truly to be honest your child's schooling be it academic schooling or life schooling or whatever starts from the moment that child is born and it is based on trust there's no way I can overemphasize this more trust, trust, trust trust your children and get them to trust you it's very simple it's 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 almost elusive but it's it's the bedrock of of everything that's going to go that's going to be built on it when i say trust i that we were taking a photograph one day and the child really wasn't cooperating and the child then the parent says okay okay you know do this i'll give you some biscuits when we're done and and I said no that's not you know you're not going to give this child the biscuit the child knows you're not going to give me the biscuit we all know we're just going to have a just ask the child to stand to us stand for mommy smile or do something don't give false promises don't you know just from a very very early age age one two three four five build a relationship on trust trust between husband and wife trust between the children and all of that that way when the children are on the internet, they themselves will self-regulate. They will, self, they will censor themselves. We never had to put any parental guide. We never had to do anything. And I, you, know, you, you want to be able to pick up your child's phone and say, oh, let me see what your friends are doing. What are they up to? Once the child begins to cringe, then you know you've lost it. You've lost it. Don't have any part of your life that you, is not open. Of course, parents... That doesn't mean that you go dipping into their diaries or into their phones all the time no but in a world of trust you all know that you can do it I don't have any hidden there don't have any cobwebs in my cupboard or whatever and you know we can always then build on it if you don't do well in an exam or there's academic failure then we'll say I know you've done your best that's okay let's build on trust um, <clears throat>
2: I I would come in from a totally different angle in terms of something to say to parents in 2020 who are faced with this, um, who are faced with this, the challenge of supervising, or organizing learning. I, I think as parents, I would like to, I would like to offer a word of encouragement. You are parents after all. Um, you are in the best position to make this thing work and one of the things i have learned about um one of the things i have learned and this is something that applies to me even in my line of work we come up with all these plans schedules frameworks and all but when the rubber hits the road you know Life doesn't quite conform to your schedules, your frameworks, and your PowerPoints. Stick with it. Stick with it. If you have to revise the rules as you go, if you have to innovate, make up stuff as you go, it's okay. I I think we tend to undervalue the intrinsic, what we bring to the table as parents. I think every parent has the minimum what it takes to make this thing work. So I think we should be a bit more, uh, trust the process, yes. If I was to get a cliche, I would say trust the process. It starts with a single step. It starts with noble intentions. Keep at it, make course corrections. You can even make a U-turn every now and then, but keep at it. You are the best person to make this thing work. That's what I would say to a parent who is faced with this in 2020.
1: Also, and this- be proactive, yes. Just before we round up, be proactive. Parents, be involved in your children's learning. Whatever stage they're at, read alongside them. So don't leave it to an external, you know, don't outsource your children's learning. It's, it's a beautiful experience for everybody at the end of the day.
0: And isn't that a lovely note on which to end today's podcast? I've learned so much from, from chatting with you, Mr. and Mrs. Fakoya, Fair, um, and Folinka. Um, there's so much to be said um, about proactive and active, actively engaged parenting, um, cultivating the love for reading, um, realizing that parents don't need a lot of money to be able to get the sort of learning outcomes out of their children that they desire. You've talked a lot about trust, trusting your children, getting them to trust you, being proactive as a family once again. Um, And and I love the note on which um, Mr. Fakoya ended this. He says, parents be encouraged. Um, You have a lot to offer, a lot to offer your children as they navigate this learning journey. Um, Stick with this, stick with it, be tenacious and trust the process. Thank you so much to the four of you for spending your evening stroke afternoon with us again you have dialed in from three different parts of the world and we are truly grateful for your time and for your contributions thank you so much and, and god all bless right, you all. so we have come to the end of today's episode of education unscripted thank you for listening please send us your feedback by sending an email to nice at tepcenter.com that's tepcenter with an r e dot com. or connecting with us on Twitter at Nice underscore Innovate. You could also leave us a voice message on our Anchor channel. Till then, stay safe and keep learning. Bye!
5: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Education Unscripted. Education Unscripted is your gateway channel to unpacking education issues in Nigeria and Africa. Education Unscripted is brought to you by the National Innovation Collaborative for Education, NICE. NICE is a community of education innovators contributing resources to foster learning and collaboration in Nigeria. My name is Lyle and I am joined today by Chizaram Ucheada. Who is the Head of Corporate Strategy and Operations at the Mavis Compotel. Please say hi to our listeners, she's around.
6: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us today.
5: Okay, so Mavis computer are the makers of the Mavis Talking Book and the Mavis Talking Pen and they are part of the NICE community and uh, if I remember correctly they were also the winners of the 2019 Nerdist Recognition Awards For innovation in technology in the category of use of technology right
6: yeah that's correct
5: okay so it's so good to have you here and um today we will be discussing the topic of we'll be discussing the topic covid 19 and the scaling of edtech innovations in nigeria so chizaram can you tell us a bit about maybe compotel talking books and pens and the problem
6: that you're trying to solve in the education sector? Okay, so um, the Mavis Talking Books is an edtech tech uh, solution. Um, it's actually a digital pen and book, so you can call it textbooks that talk. Um, so mm-hmm. the user turns it on, taps on the pages of the book, the text, the images, and all that, and it sounds out audio interactive uh, songs, games, and things to make the learning engaging. Fun interactive so it's designed to improve the um, quality of basic uh, education so both for learning english with phonics math science um, we have story books rhymes books and all of that so we even have the language series for learning hausa Igbo, yoruba french spanish arabic So it's almost like a a teacher in a pen if you put it that way and um what we are trying to solve is uh, the problem of the limited number of quality teachers um, in public schools uh, across the country and also in some of the low-cost private schools. So most times, uh, getting good teachers is really hard. So most of them are concentrated in the um, expensive, um, the high-cost schools in towns. Most of the good teachers won't want to go to poor um, communities. Um, so there was the need for a solution that's like giving quality learning that they can get in these expensive schools to children at the bottom of the pyramid so that's what the talking book sets out to do and also um, fixing the challenge of the language and modern tongue instruction in education because you could have children who are smart but if they don't understand english they'll be lost in the classroom so it's like uh, me and you we uh, are we could be brilliant people, but you throw us into a class and you're teaching us in Spanish or Portuguese or Arabic, we'd be totally lost. Um, but if we are taught in English, we'll understand. So that's how they see it. So we've done um books like one that is how to teach English and we're working on variants for even using local languages um, to teach math, using Hausa, Igbo, uh, Canary and all of that. So um, quality of teachers and mother tongue instruction is in basically are
5: the areas as well are focused on oh, well thank you very much um chisaram for telling us about maybe Compotel. and um, so I would like to you know delve further into that because this is a solution that has now that has been around for a couple of years now if I'm if I'm correct and um,
3: yeah, covid
5: 19. That's the new thing on the block now. You know, everybody's talking about COVID, and that's the pandemic that has literally put a delay on education all around the world. Over 90% of children all around the world are now in, now have experienced some sort of delay in their education because of COVID 19. And, you know, in this period, we've seen the rise of a lot of new ed tech innovations and the scaling of existing ones. So can you tell us about your experience at Mavis Compotel, you know, in the wake of COVID-19 and how you've been able to adjust your products to serve changing customer needs in this period?
6: Okay. So um, one of the things uh, we've seen, rising right, in during this um, COVID-19 uh, pandemic that sadly broke out was so that there's, we've been getting lots of um, orders from parents. They are buying the talking books for their kids to learn at home uh, because most of them are okay. busy, but they need um, their children to keep learning. So we, are, we work with uh, delivery partners, so others come in and go out. So another thing we have also want to see uh, is that we've, a number of governments and development partners are now also showing interest in using the solution to provide home learning In um, kids for children, uh, because you have uh, prior to now, homeschooling was something that people just talked about, but now it's um, taking center stage. So, the solution, so we didn't really have to adjust much. So, it's actually something that we had been planning before, trying to let people know that, oh, you can use this solution to homeschool your children. We're even planning to do a pilot with a few families, but now the pandemic has more or less fast-tracked or uh, accelerated Everything. homeschooling program. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're seeing. So, I even had um, some meetings this week with some development partners looking at rolling this out in a number of uh, areas. So, the homeschooling um, area is something that we're seeing um, picking up.
0: Okay.
5: I see. That is, that is very fascinating. You know, in the light of The pandemic it now seems like everybody is you know going more and more towards homeschooling the use of technology online training and all of that and you know it's good to know that that is really really helping and that you know sales have increased in this period and um you've been able to adapt to the needs of the parents and all of your consumers now what I would like to know is that would you say that empathy plays a big role in you know adapting your innovations and how would you say that um, your experience in trying to meet parents' needs? How would you say that empathy has influenced you so far? You know, especially in the light of the pandemic and especially in the capacity of parents to support their children, you know, with the devices and things like that. Would you say that empathy has been a driving force for maybe Um
6: Yes, it has, um, because we see it firsthand, um, because we've noticed from, or not just us, everybody has noticed that this pandemic has made um, parents become impromptu teachers, and most of them were not trained to be teachers. Well, they now yes. have their children at home they are trying to combine work working remotely and then keeping their children engaged and learning because sadly no one knows when this is going to end so yes. what the talking book helps them do is that it acts like a home lesson teacher as it were well, so they can um, focus on work while the and helps the kids learn so and um, what we are trying to do to make life easy for parents is that we're also working on uh, using like uh, day-to-day guides so um to help them put more structure, so they can help okay today covering pages one to this where by this week we should have done chapters this this the talking books oh okay so there's some okay. kind of um structure that they can follow so because even uh, so parents need all the help they can get because even parents who are not literate uh, talking book helps uh, give the children quality learning um then even parents teachers as well still need support so that's why we're trying to help with that structure for them so but it unbodies them so it's almost like uploads the teaching and to help teach the kids
5: oh i see so would you say that um, infrastructural challenges like internet access we're all going through that now you know internet access data costs and even power Would you say that these have been injurances so far in your work? And would you say that, um, or what would you say are the opportunities here for scaling education technology innovation in spite of all of these challenges?
6: Okay, Um, for for power situation, um, that was one of the key considerations we Looked at when we were design, um, deciding what platforms to used to educate children when we started many years ago. So, tablets, smartphones, they are all great, but the challenges we yes. face here in Nigeria, most African countries, is that you don't have reliable power supply. In fact, in most of these communities, there's no power supply at all. Then, yes, you have that is very true. Um, internet service. Mm-hmm. So you have expensive um, data plans that most people can't afford. Can't afford because if you're looking at video online lessons, you're looking at several gigs of uh, gigabytes of, of
1: data consumed
6: every month. That costs a pretty penny for most people. So, but using the talking books, it makes it easy. It's all offline. And it's government-approved. It follows the curriculum, so it's overcomes those challenges. Then For power, most smartphones tablets are 10 watts, 15 watts, Some newer versions these days are even more power hungry, uh, so they are over 20 watts. But the pen, this is just 2.5 watts, so we can even have small solar kits, the um, panel the size of a small A5 notebook that can charge the pen, because it's just 2.5 watts, so it's 5 to 10 oh, okay. less power most uh, of these devices, so it's it helps provide quality learning offline
5: all right thank you for letting us know that you got very technical on us at some point but i think that you know a lot of us <laughs> <Sorry. will> probably, <laughs> a lot of us will probably understand you know the core of what you're trying to say here <laughs> now i have a question for you relating to a post that i saw recently that you put up on your social media where you were talking about how before the pandemic you know a lot of people perceived the use of uh, technology like tablets or phones in learning as them um, you know something for play rather than something that we could channel to learning and now because of the pandemic you know we've had to evolve really fast now a lot of people are switching to homeschooling through their tablets their phones their smartphones and this has caused a change in perception of some sort. So how do you think that we as a people can address this change in perception? And how do you think, and do you think that it might cost any form of disadvantages to our children or to the students?
6: Okay, yeah, I actually, um, I remember the post. It's, it was actually in a Southern African nation, um, so the um, student union in uh, the university. Together and they were like, um, before now, um, teachers or lecturers say we shouldn't use smartphones or laptops in the class. All of a sudden, there's this pandemic and you're telling that it was a distraction, all of a sudden you're telling us to use it to learn at home. About 41% of us are in places where there's no power supply. Internet is still a large fees, are still a large chunk of the civil servant salary. So, how do you want us to go back to this? So um, and they just they vehemently oppose it. So they are like, we're not doing this online thing. Fix power, fix the internet, make it affordable and everywhere. Then we can consider it. So that's the sad reality. So, what's um, there's the other um, downside of an internet based solution, which a lot of people are talking about now, which is uh, digital safety and the well being of learners? You have children being exposed to the internet there are lots of predators online people who do funny things you don't want the kids going to some funny sites the thing is that even if they don't go to funny websites the nature of the internet is that you may just be browsing on the website and something pops up and these are young minds you don't want them to go to places they shouldn't be going to or chatting with strangers they shouldn't be talking to so that's why we felt right from the it's, um you say when you're you don't sell technology, you sell service so our goal was to give quality learning all offline, so no distractions. you are also talking about reducing screen time. Parents don't want kids to be online all the time. So um, all these things were things we thought of. And it's not just in Africa. There was a case uh, in the Western world in the US, actually, uh, 2014. Um, there was a project, that a tablet-based uh, project, over a billion that was supposed to be supplied to an education district. Uh, so they did that, and then they found out that the kids bypassed the locks they put on the tablet and they were able to open it up to the internet. They could they using, <laughs> using it to play games instead of reading. Some of them were um, going to funny places and all of that. So sadly, the project uh, had to be canceled and uh, some investigation and some years so and a similar thing happened in Nigeria too uh, there was the state government rolled out tablets and teachers came they were like these kids are using this thing to play they're not using it to learn so there are those challenges so what we like to advocate for is that when you're rolling out technology it has to be locally relevant to take power into consideration mm. take ease of use take child protection uh, into consideration all those things uh, when you get them with into learning with edtech solutions that are offline and simple to use, then you can gradually phase them into those more advanced things over the years. So, it's more like a phased approach that we advise.
5: I see. That has, you know, addressed even the question of digital safety, the question of, you know, the overall well-being of learners. Thank you very much for sharing that mm-hmm. with us, Chisaram. So, on a final note, um, how do you think that education and stakeholders, especially policymakers, can apply the lessons that we have learned from, you know, this crisis-induced ed tech disruption, for a more long-term solution in the aftermath of this pandemic? How how do you think that we can, you know, apply the lessons from this period for for a long-term view?
6: Okay. Um. So what we What there's a saying that it's um, in the time of uh, peace that you prepare for war. So um, it's advisable that uh, governments, um, even after this pandemic, put in uh, education solutions in place that prepare the children for now and for future. We don't know what will happen later on. We don't know how long this pandemic will last. Even beyond that. children need to be able to learn um, beyond the walls of the classroom. So having solutions that are self-based, learner-centered, that more or less empowers children to take charge of their own learning, uh, rather than always thinking that, oh, there has to be a teacher in the front of the classroom, dictating things to children. That's not how the workplace is. If you're talking about the um, future of work and all that. Children need to learn how to research, find information for themselves, to get work done, collaborate, that's what technology helps them to do. Uh-huh. So that's why we say, okay, this is what people should be looking at. And government, development partners need to come on board, fund such ed tech solutions to reach children in underserved communities. And because basic education obviously we know it's supposed to be free. Um, obviously we know there are challenges, there and schools chart for different things, transport to school with the distance. All those things add the cost, so to the cost of education that's supposed to be free. What? Getting solutions that can go directly into the homes of the children, give them quality learning, or even in communities. You have-